rejection's part of life. Like that is okay. And every time I get rejected, it's a life lesson. And what makes other people, what makes me think that other people are going to like me, you know, just because like, in other words, I'm not for everybody and not everyone's for me. I judge. I don't befriend everybody. Not everyone's my cup of tea. So if I feel that way, why does everyone have to like me? Welcome back to another episode on Find Joy with Joyanne, the podcast that is all about helping you live and lead a life with joy. I'm your host, Joyanne Chan. And every Wednesday, we are giving you access to the world's best and brightest minds in their fields on our show. Listen in as these leaders impart their wisdom, inspiration, and stories to empower you to live joyfully with intention, passion, and purpose, and celebrate the struggles and overcome the challenges we may face each day with the tools and insights that we are going to share with you. Whether you are looking to improve your relationship, find your passion, learn how to embrace the present moment, deepen your spiritual connection, or learn the magic of manifestation and law of attraction to attract more abundance, this podcast is here to guide you every step of the way. As your host, I am also challenging myself to dig deeper to learn and unlearn and ride along with you. We are not here to tell you how to live your life because it is your life. But this life is all that we have right now. So my friend, why not live our life to the fullest? So I hope these conversations and stories will guide and inspire you to live your life to your highest potential and a life that you are proud of as you continue to grow and evolve in your own journey. So if you are ready to start living a more passionate, purposeful and joyful life, join us every Wednesday on Find Joy with Joanne for inspirational stories, powerful message, fun conversations and empowering talks with me and my special guests and friends. And now without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Our guest today is a co-founder and clinical director of Through My Eyes, adjunct faculty at New York University, and she teaches a graduate course in mindfulness practice. And she serves multiple boards. She has advanced training in cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, structural family therapy, mindfulness, and a level two trained eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapies. She's also the author of the book, Free Your Child from Overeating, 53 My Body Strategies for Lifelong Health, and new book, Ace Your Life, Unleash Your Best Self, and Live the Life You Want. And the list of accomplishments goes on and on. In summary, she has over 30 years of clinical experience and has had the honor of helping countless individuals to transform their personal and professional lives by uncovering the core of emotional avoidance and anxiety that gets in the way of individuals living their best life and the life they truly want. She's here today to empower you to get unstuck from your personal blocks and limiting beliefs and reconnect with yourself and make meaningful lifelong changes. So ladies and gentlemen, Help me in welcoming the one and only Dr. Michelle Madenberg. Dr. Michelle, welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I just want to say, you know, your work is truly amazing and, and deeply profound. And thank you so much for everything that you do. And I'm, I'm truly impressed. 
So what I'm curious. So what got you started? Like, why you're so passionate about doing the work that you are doing today? Because I believe that we all have a story and we all have a why behind why we do what we do today. So I would love to hear your personal story or your journey. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people ask me that and I answer that question so often, but I, I really do want to say that I, every single day that I wake up in the morning, I am so thrilled to do the work that I'm doing. And I see, you know, the wards of my work all the time. I mean, even today, just before I'm coming on with you, I mean, I think about like the end of my day at how many people I've spoken to and the lives that like I'm helping to transform, you know, in personal growth and professional growth. Um, And even today, I'll just give you an example. I was speaking to a young woman who is in high school. So she's, you know, kind of a teen and had horrible conflict with her mother. And it ended up where she ended up saying something conflictual to her mother. Her mother responded in a pretty... I would say aggressive way and cursed her, literally cursed her. Um, and, you know, she was feeling obviously very, very sad and disappointed and frustrated. And, you know, she's a very empath, you know, empathetic and compassionate human and she's an empath and people in her household, unfortunately, are not very emotionally intelligent and emotionally in tune and she struggles. Um, but what was so lovely is I was able to really talk her through, you know, and for her to take personal responsibility in her part in the conflict. Mm. And, and, you know, she ended off the conversation with, with appreciating the fact that she could understand a lot better about, again, what her part in it was, how to better communicate with her mother and how to work through whatever it is that she wanted to work through and, you know, be heard most importantly. You know, and those moments, and I even said to her at the end of our conversation, I said to her, I am so proud of you. I said, the fact that you're sitting here and talking to me about this and you're being vulnerable and you're putting your feelings out there and that you care so much about the relationship that you have with your mother and that, you know, that you're looking to improve yourself at your age, you're amazing. And, you know, she doesn't hear that. So, you know, in terms of her confidence building, um, and I said, it's, we, we had a really hard conversation today, you know, doing this work is really hard. And she was, she said, yeah, but again, I got off and like, (laughs) I had the feeling of just like wanting to reach out and hug her. Right. Because it was such a deep connection that I made with her just in that moment, um, you know, and helping her to realize that that she doesn't have to feel so helpless and hopeless, that there's always opportunities to kind of circle back and to change things and to communicate appropriately and to express herself and be heard and get her needs met and on and on and on. So, you know, I think one of the things that compels me in the work that I do is that I form these incredible relationships and I see the changes. So that's one, (laughs) a big one. Um, But I think from when I was young, you know, I, I, I would have to say that I was kind of experienced a lot of trauma, you know, that being my four grandparents were Holocaust survivors um, and all, you know, unfortunately had families that were killed and murdered in the war. Um, They themselves were in concentration camps. So there was a lot of intergenerational trauma that was carried over, unfortunately, to my parents and, and on and on. 
um, I'm hoping to break the cycle myself. Um, so that, that definitely influenced my life tremendously. And then the last thing is my grandmother, one of my, my maternal grandmother used to talk to me about war stories, about what she went through emotionally and physically and otherwise in the war. And I heard those stories from when I was like really little. And I didn't realize until today, until being an adult of how much it impacted me, you know, in such a tremendous way. And I think because I'm an, again, an empath, you know, at heart, I, I think I felt such tremendous, you know, empathy and compassion for my grandmother and for other people, you know, in general, and allowed me to tap into that and to really kind of understand and also recognize and appreciate, you know, the, I'm going to say skill and talent that I had both at connecting with other people and the ability to attune to other people and the ability to really listen to them. And then also to process my feelings and thoughts. And again, I couldn't do that perfectly as a child, obviously, but, you know, and then I continue as I've gotten older to, you know, to really um, commit to my own personal growth. So that's really helped to cultivate and fortify it for me. You talk about um, breaking a cycle and, um, my question is how, what is the first step? Like what is the first step in breaking a cycle? You know, whether the cycle is a childhood trauma or, you know, the de- depression or anxiety or eating disorder, bad habits, like, you know, addictions, because it's a cycle, right? We have, we are stuck in that cycle, like on and on and on, even though we try to break free. I mean, speaking from, you know, my own personal um, experience, sure. even though I try to break free from some of my habits in the past or even now, it's so hard to change because it's so wired in our in our brain, right? And so yeah. how do we truly and really like break a cycle? It's a great question. <laughs> and my book, actually, my whole book talks about stuckness. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the whole book is about and how to break free of stuckness, you know, in any realm, whether it be relationships, habits, whatever the case is. You know, the problem with it is, we form these adaptations or these coping skills, you know, as we grow, right? And we find all these lovely ways, right, of working through stuckness. Now, when we do it as a child, let's say, we do it in a pretty, I would say, you know, it's not a very sophisticated way because we don't have the cognition and the maturity to be able to kind of process things and understand things and work through things in the way we do as an adult. Yeah. But we take those same coping skills and the same adaptations we use as, as we do with, you know, as a child, and we carry them with us as an adult. They don't work in the same way. You know, that's just the way it is. We have to learn new ways of coping. But unfortunately, like you said, it's so wired in our neural networks and our cognition and yeah. our neurophysiology that we have a hard time learning different skills, habits, etc. Okay. So the first first like um kind of awareness and you know my book is ace which is acceptance compassion empowerment acceptance is about noticing right so i'm going to use i'm going to use actually the patient that i told you about earlier because she's such a good example of how we're restructuring her brain (laughs) and rewiring her thinking and helping her forming new habits so i'm going to use her as an example And I'll tell you the story because it's an interesting one. You know, what happened was she's an athlete Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and she actually injured, and I won't get into the details because yeah. of confidentiality, but anyway, she, she has an injury. And she wants to go to a college and she wants to be an athlete in college. Okay. But now she has an injury and the injury, okay, is a deterrent for her not to play the sports that she's going to play in college because that sport is actually seasonal and it's being played in the spring, but the sport, and she's an athlete all year round. Okay. So the sport that she wants to play in the fall, winter, fall, it was discouraged for her to play because again, you know, she has to kind of save herself and make sure that she doesn't get injured so that she's able to then get recruited to a college that's going to enable her to pay the, play the sport she wants to play. So anyway, the physical therapist was talking to the mom and the mom basically said, you know, made the decision for her that she shouldn't play at all. Okay. She shouldn't play at all. Um, the, you know, the chances are that she may need surgery, like come like December, January, and then she'll be good to go in the spring and this, you know, to play her sport. Now you have to understand she's not a baby. She's a teenager. She has a mind of her own. Plus, according to her and what the physical therapist communicated to her is she can play the sport. Mm. She's not prohibited. She physically could do it. Right. But she also has to be aware that there is this, you know, potential kind of risk that she's taking. Okay. But what the mom did, the mom didn't discuss it with her. The mom didn't communicate with her. The mom made the decision for her. Okay. With teenagers, right. That's hard to do. Teenagers don't want it. Right. And especially because this is where her confidence lies is, is in her athleticism. So it's literally like, you know, it's literally cutting her off at the knees to tell her not to play sports. Okay. So what did she say? She made a very, very snarky comment to her mom about the brother and blamed her because her brother had some injuries or whatever and blamed her mother for her brother's unhappiness. That was kind of the comment she made. So her mother got furious and then said something very, very aggressive toward her and cursed her really. I mean, it was it was pretty aggressive, right? So going back to your question, this patterns, like how do you change, is she had to notice her part in that. Like she had to notice that she was feeling unheard and misunderstood, mm-hmm. right? And that caused her to say what she said to her mom, which then caused her mom to react to her in the way that she did, okay? And we talked about, and I, and I said to her, You know, and I I said to her, close your eyes for a moment and I want you to think about, right, when you're not heard and you feel this real aggression and this real rage, because in that moment you wanted to hurt your mother. When you said what you said to your mom, you wanted to hurt her. There was a rage there, right? You got to own that. You got to own that. So close your eyes and I want you to think back as far back as you can when that rage first appeared, when you first felt that feeling of like, I want to get that person back because they hurt me, you know, or whatever the case is. And she did. And she, she remembered that when she was in third grade, she was bullied. And we talked about that a little bit and she remembered, you know, again, she had no awareness of it in our conversation, but she remembered that she was bullied. And I said to her, well, what do you think that would be like a third grader? Imagine a third grader that's being bullied is helpless, hopeless. I said, how long was it happening for? She said a good six months at least. 
I said, could you imagine the rage and anger that you felt that you couldn't speak up? You couldn't defend yourself. You felt you had no voice. You didn't feel like you were heard. Could you imagine what that felt like? And how in your mind you wanted to literally destroy the person who was hurting you. And the only thing that you could do now, because you have a voice, is really hurt the person, right? Because you have the voice now, you could actually hurt somebody. And that's what you did. That's what you did. And she was crying. And she said to me, and I said, I know that's not you. That's that little child in you, that little rageful child that isn't heard or doesn't feel like they're understood and feels hopeless and helpless. I said, is that how you want to be? Is that how you really want to be? Is that according to your own integrity and your value of thoughtfulness and consideration, which she is, she's like the most loving, sweet, like she's amazing. You know, I said, and you know what ends up happening? Unfortunately, you end up feeling badly about yourself. And everything that you were trying to express, you know, gets lost because then it becomes about what you said to your mom and then how your mom reacted to you. And the blame then is put on you because if you didn't say what you said, then your mom wouldn't say what she said, you know, so to speak. Right. And you didn't get your needs met. And you didn't get your needs met. You didn't get heard like you wanted to. And you become the the bad guy. I said, so how does that help you? How does that help you? And she sat there and she was like, gosh, I didn't realize all of that. Uh, You know? So I I said, and that's likely, that behavior is likely to spill out and spill over to your family members, to your friends, and especially towards an intimate partner in your future. Why is that so? Because what we do in our intimate relationships, and this is just the way it is. Oh, and then she said to me, she said, you know, my mom's mom was very, very um, discompassionate and unkind toward her. Why is she repeating that behavior with me? And she was crying. It was really sad. And I said, I said, that's what we do. It's called repetition. It's called repetition compulsion. We repeat because it's familiar, because it's comfortable, comfortable, right? It's not really comfortable. That's what we do. That's what we do. And we try to work through our past relationships with our intimate relationships. And we think we could change them. And we think that we're going to work through whatever we didn't work through with our parents, with this person. But what ends up happening, you know, either it could be very therapeutic and we could actually work through it with them. But unfortunately, what ends up typically happening is it just triggers us in the same way that it triggered us with our parents. And that's actually not very helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So it's important to learn about all of that. Yeah. Wow. It's mind-blowing. Like, it's just like, it it helps me to think about my own relationship in life and how I interact with, you know, people, especially my family member, especially in particular my mom, you know. So, So that is the first step, all right? Acceptance, that we have to be aware Notice, Notice. right? Notice. Notice. So what is the next step then? Like, how do we then change? Like, how do we respond and not react? Beautiful. So compassion. Okay. So she's noticing. And I said to her, the part of you that acted out and got so angry and aggressive that you noticed, does that part need to be yelled at and criticized 
right? And demoralized, or is it a part that needs compassion and love and care and understanding? It needs that, right? When somebody's down and out, you don't like hit them over the head. That makes them feel worse. And then they're less likely to make improvements. If you actually encourage them and you actually have, you know, belief and you actually support them, that's what change happens. Well, guess what? That's what you need to do for yourself. No one else needs to do that. When you're an adult, you need to do that for yourself. It becomes your job. You're the only one who could do that for you, right? And we have the longest relationships with ourselves, more than any other relationship. And it's the most important formative relationship that we need to put a lot of time and effort into, which we don't, unfortunately, because we never yeah. learn how to. And by the way, this is cross-cultural. This is yes. cross-cultural, whether you're in the U.S. or any yeah. other country. This is cross-cultural. It relates to anybody across the world. And I mean that. <laughs> we don't learn how to be self-compassionate. There's no such language even for that, <laughs> which is really sad. It's really sad if you think about it. So when I was talking with her, instead of saying to her, why did you say that? You know, or, or that part of you is horrible. You know, no, I said, wow, that part of you wants to be heard. That part of you deserves to be heard, right? That part needs to be loved. And I said to her, I love that part of you. The part of you that cares so much. The part of you that is so compassionate and loving. Amazing, amazing, right? So can you be loving and kind towards yourself and also recognize that that part comes from a painful place? That part's in pain and say like, that part that actually reacted to my mom was in pain and I am going to do better and I'm going to be better and I'm going to act more mindfully in the future. And I have the ability to, because I'm going to work and practice yeah. at it. Yeah. That's compassion. Okay. And then as you asked, how do you make the change? It has to do with practicing. I cannot say that enough. And when you're noticing that part of you erupting, because it like almost possesses you, it really does. <laughs> it's actually, it's creating space. That's where the mindfulness comes in. It's creating that space. So what I sometimes do literally is I will lean back, like metaphorically, I'll lean back to observe mm -hmm. myself, right? Instead of kind of like it encapsulating me, and really taking hold of me, I will lean back and I will observe it. And I'll be like, oh gosh, I'm so sad. And I'm having such a hard time right now. And I'm in such distress. And this is so painful. Gosh, this is really hard for me. You know, it's really hard when I'm not heard and it makes me feel really angry and upset and frustrated. Mm -hmm. Right. And practicing. Right. So like her practice is going to be approaching her mother. And saying, Mom, you know what? I realized what it was that like came over me and caused me to say what I, that snarky comment I made towards you. I really get it. And I want to apologize for that. You didn't deserve that. I needed to express my way, myself in a more mindful, you know, rational way so that you could hear me. And, and I, I, I wasn't able to do that in that moment. And I apologize. So what I needed in that moment was blank, 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 right? And um, I also felt very hurt when you said what you said to me. And I get you were angry too. 
but that was really hurtful to me. Mm. Right. Um, and the more she does that, she'll be more accepting of that wounded, angry part of her. And instead of resisting it or reacting from that place, she will be again, more open, more flexible, more curious, right? More compassionate. And then she will try different ways of behaving. Okay. I and guess what? I have to pause, pause you here and I have to ask a question before we move on. What if the other person, let's say in this case, in this scenario is a mom. What if her mom yes. is not accepting it? She wasn't, you know, accepting the apology or, you know, the, you know, the kindness, compassion. What do you do then? Beautiful question. Yeah. No matter what, you're a winner. And I'll tell you why. And again, it's not about winning or losing. It's about, it's about acting in line with your values. Okay. That's what it's all about. And that's what I teach in my book. It's all about that. So here's this. If her mom reacts in a positive way, guess what? It reinforces her behavior. It reinforces yeah, yeah. her. And she says, oh, wow. I, I, I actually spoke, right, in a very positive way. I spoke in a mindful way. And my mom actually was able to hear me. Cool. That's amazing. Oh, you know what? I should do this again. This is great. Yeah. It works. That's great. But like you said, we don't have control over others. Yes. And sometimes we could be very, very, very rational. And she could say to her mom, I'm so sorry. And you know what her mother could say to her? I don't care that you're sorry. You shouldn't have said that to begin with. You could say sorry from today until tomorrow, but I don't forgive you because that's just unacceptable. And I, I don't e I don't even care that you said you're sorry. You should have been able to um, not be so impulsive, right? Yeah. We cannot control other people's behavior. She could still sit down, right? It's about the process. It's not about the results. She could still sit down and say to herself, I express myself in a mindful, thoughtful way. And that's all I could do. I did my best. And I don't have control over my mom's behavior, anybody else's. If they can't be accepting of that, right? That's something they have to work on. But I have to be accepting of that part of me that's suffering and I have to work harder and better, right. To heal that part. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Beautiful. So it's a win. It's a win-win. Yeah. It's a win-win. Yeah. And she could feel so positive about herself mm. and build on her self-confidence because she was able to circle back and she was able to get that confirmation for herself. Now I'll give you another really interesting example, which was amazing. This was years back, years, years back. I'll never forget this. It, it like always stays in my mind. I was, working, I was working with this young adult. She was in her 20s. Her mother lived in Florida and she lived in New York, in, in, the, in the US. And um, she had to have surgery. And, and her mother was an alcoholic. Her mother drank alcohol. And she said to me, oh, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna go to Florida to heal, you know, to recover from my surgery. And I said to her, she didn't even think about this. I said to her, listen, I just want to remind you, your mother's an alcoholic. There is a chance that she'll be drinking and she won't be able to take care of you. And how are you going to feel if she's drinking and she can't take care of you? I said, you need to do your due diligence and you need to find out if she could actually take care of you. And because you have to make an informed decision, you're having surgery. So she said, what should I do? 
I said, I think you need to have a conversation with her and you need to find out if she's willing or able to be there for you. Anyway, she comes back to my office. I'll never forget this. She was hysterical. She was in tears, rolling down her face. She was besides herself. And I said to her, oh my goodness, what happened? Mm. She said, you're not going to believe this. I approached my mom and I asked her, listen, I want to come home, you know, whatever. Could you please make sure for that weekend that you don't drink? Like, I really need you to make sure somebody's there to take care of me. You know what her mom said? I can't promise you that. Wow. I'm going to be honest. She was honest with her. She said, I can't promise you that. I, I'm just being, you know, I'm real. And she said, how could a mother do that? How could my mom, you know, decide that she wants a drink over taking care of me? What kind of mom is that? No, no, no. I said, you know what? I said, that is, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And like my heart goes out to you because I can't, I can't even imagine how hurt you must feel and how disappointed. And, you know, I acknowledged her and validated her. I said, but you know what? Your mom also gave you a gift because she was honest and she gave you the gift of you making an informed decision for yourself. She didn't lie to you. She didn't misrepresent how she was going to be, even though she probably wanted to be. I don't think she intentionally wants to hurt you. You know, who wants to intentionally hurt somebody else? So it turned out that she decided she was going to go to Florida anyway. Mm-hmm. And she totally like decided that on her, you know, we talked about it and she decided that. And, you know, again, that was her choice. And guess what? She came back and her mom drank. And she said to me, she looked in my eyes and she said, thank you so much. She said, I don't know what I would have done if I went there and I didn't know, or I didn't expect that that was going to happen. She said, that would have been so traumatic and devastating for me. Mm. Thank you so much. You know, and I said, I'm so glad. And she said, I have to come to a place of accepting my mother for who she is. Like, this is kind of... You know, as hard as it is, I have to just recognize. So the point is, right, you know, going back to what you said, her mother is not going to change. But she felt proud of herself that she had enough confidence and self-love that she wanted to find out if she was going to be cared about and cared for. And even though she got that devastating news, she felt so proud of herself that she was cared enough about herself to make sure that her needs were met. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're so right. Honesty is, is, is the gift that her mom was able to give her because imagine if her mom was saying, you know, yeah, for sure, you're my daughter. I could take care of you, right? Come over to Florida. And she went over and her mom was drinking and not really taking, it was been so much more devastating because sure. she has the expectation, right? Like, 100%. yeah, my mom promised this, but she didn't deliver the promise. So yeah. Wow, that, that is a beautiful story. Thank you so much. I believe we all can relate to that or we all have a story just as similar to that, right? A similar experience in our life. Yeah. So anything else that you want to add before we before I ask the next question? Yeah. So the only thing I was going to add is um, how do you sustain the behavior over time? Because that was your question. And that's yeah. like, that's, that is, that's where the magic is. That's where the magic is. We could all change our behavior temporarily. That's easy. You know, and you see that all the time. Like somebody wants to lose weight, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I want to lose weight for my daughter's wedding. I want to fit into my dress and whatever, you know? Anybody could do that. And I see it all the time, right? Somebody loses 20 pounds. But then once the wedding's over, 
forget it, right? <laughs> Whatever the case is, we, we, we know how to do or how to make changes temporarily. But the, the magic really is understanding how to do that for a duration or a long period of time or for the long term. And that's my empowerment chapters. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, it's how do we really maintain the behavior? And again, I could sit here all day, right? Talking about all the tools and skills that I teach because there's so many of them. But, you know, one of them is really practice, 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 right? We really have to change physiologically the neural networks that are so kind of fixated in this like path, right? Because then we're just going to repeat the behavior and repeat the behavior. And once we have that neural pathway, our behavior, the propensity of our behavior tends to go in that direction. So for example, when we're talking about kind of our weight, if we don't keep up with diet and exercise and everything that we do to change our lifestyle, all it takes is boom, and we're right back where we started. Right? Just like you could work out, I've been working out for over 30 years, okay? And I could tell you muscle mass and everything, it's really hard to, to kind of to get muscle mass. It's very easy to lose it like that. Yeah. Really easy yeah. to lose it if you don't keep up with it. A phobia, if you have a phobia, fear, okay? And I work with a lot of people with phobias, like somebody actually who I just saw the other day who's scared of flying in an airplane, right? She's scared of flying. So she went on this amazing trip to Europe over the summer, I got her to go. I mean, I didn't get her to go. She went, but I helped her. I helped her. I guided her. Okay. But she knows, and I tell her this all the time, if she doesn't keep on flying, she, the phobia is going to come back. She has to work on it consistently. Just because she's not flying, she can't just say, oh, I don't need to think about this. No. Mm. She has to consistently work on it. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I like that. Because I always tell my people or people I work with, you know, how do you build confidence is to do, or how do you overcome fear and build confidence is to do the things that you you fear the most, like over and over and over again. Like imagine, like think about it. The, the only way to overcome a fear is to do the things that you fear, right? Period. Like take action, right? I'm not sure whether that is true because you are a you know, expert at this field. Well, that's, that's, how, that's how you change the neural pathways right. because you're you're making new pathways. Right. It's new experiences. Mm. It's new narratives. It's new information, mm. right? So in this girl's brain, going back to the girl again, right? In this girl's brain, I need to be aggressive and rageful in order to be heard. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That's her narrative based on her childhood and what happened to her, let's say, right? Mm. If she continues to express herself in a meaningful, mindful, and thoughtful way, mm -hmm. and people are reacting to her and are hearing her, guess what? The neural pathways shift. Oh, there's a better way to do this. There's another way that actually gets me the results that I want and need. Yeah. Okay. And the more repetition, the more the brain, right, changes those neural pathways and the belief system changes. Yeah. And the more examples you have and the more times that you, right? And I know for myself, I could speak for myself. I think in the past, you know, just because of my own history, um, sometimes I could be, I could cut off, you know, I could be a little distant emotionally because of maybe fears of rejection or, 
whatever the case is. And, and I, over the, the, the past, I would say, I mean, number of years, 20 years, let's say, I've been really, really working at making myself vulnerable in my relationships, right? So that I've learned over time that vulnerability is what connects me to others, not distancing and cutting off. That's the opposite. And it's interesting when I attend workshops, because I do a lot of like experiential workshops and all these other things, whether I'm attending or I'm like actually leading, you know, sometimes I'll get very emotional and I'll start crying, right? Or I'll tap into a very deep feeling. And you know what happens all the time? It's, it's like funny. Like the members, and sometimes it's with other therapists and sometimes it's with lay people, whatever the, the case is. But inevitably, you know what they say to me? They say because of your stature and your height and the way you look and your dress and whatever that they have like a certain image and perception of me, right? Which, you know, I'm kind of used to. But they said the moment that the tears came, came streaming down your eyes and the moment you became vulnerable and, I, and we saw this like a very feminine, like, you know, kind of uh, vulnerable side of you, you were so much more relatable. Wow. Yeah. And I, and, and I realized that like, that's what connects me to other people. And that's less likely to make me reject, to get me rejected. Yes. Where in the past, where in the past, I thought I, I thought I was protecting myself and I would be less likely to be rejected if I was cut off. No, it's the opposite. But I only learned that through experience and through putting myself out there. And now my brain is learning that to be vulnerable, but I have to tell you that when I feel threatened mm -hmm. or whatever the case is, my go-to place, boom, like this, wow. like this, I have to catch myself at times yeah. and I have to say, oh, you're, you're slipping, you're going into that space again, you know? And even if I do get rejected, that's okay. Rejection's part of life. Like that is okay. And every time I get rejected, it's a life lesson. And what makes other people, what makes me think that other people are going to like me, you know, just because like, in other words, I'm not for everybody and not everyone's for me. Yeah. I judge. I don't befriend everybody. Not everyone's my cup of tea. So if I feel that way, why does everyone have to like me? What is that about? Yeah, because you don't even like everyone. <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that how you just open up and share your, a bit of your, your, you know, who you really are, being vulnerable and, you know, you shutting down because that is what I could relate to you the most. Like, you know, I could, and because here's the thing, right? When I was doing my research and I saw this 60 seconds quiz on your website and I actually took the quiz. Yeah. I love it. And so the basic oh, is the quiz is about, you know, to find out where are you um, stuck unconsciously. Stuck, yes. like, yeah, exactly. Where are you most stuck? And guess what, what my yeah. answer was? It was <laughs> escape artist, right? And um, I, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Like immediately I knew, you know, yeah, it, it makes sense. You know, it makes so much sense and it's exactly who I am because I know who I am, right? So... The next thing that I'll talk to you about, which is a huge part of your work, is about um, emotional avoidance, which you talk a lot and that you just talked about earlier. So talk to us about what is emotional avoidance and how does it show up in our in our um, 
day-to-day thinking or decision-making and how do we recognize the patterns of uh, emotional avoidance? Yeah. So I did a TED talk on emotional avoidance. It's uh, circumventing emotional avoidance. And um, I was really trying to think of a title, like what do I call this, right? But if you think about emotional avoidance, it's really avoiding negative or uncomfortable emotions. And it's chronic. It's a chronic, (laughs) I would say, challenge again, cross-culturally, that we all experience. And the reason for that is because it has to do with the way our brain is wired. Our brain is wired to avoid discomfort and danger. And when we experience negative emotions, it literally gets capsized both in our body and in our mind, because there's like that mind-body connection. So it becomes, we become phobic literally to it. And we want no part of it. So when we feel it, we literally get, you know, so avoidant and um, it's hard to like lean into it and to really, but that's where the magic is again. And I I have to tell you, you know, I I encourage, you know, patients that I work with, you know, to kind of just touch, just touch, tap into those negative emotions. What does that look like? It could be, like if you're crying or or tearful, right. And you're feeling sad is just sitting with it and not distracting from it and seeing what comes up or being curious about it. Right. Because our, our emotions ebb and flow, our thinking ebbs and flows. And if you're not processing it and allowing it to be, you're not really, really seeing where it lands. Yeah. And I have to tell you, when I meditate, let's say, for example, and I, I really sit there, sometimes what comes out of my meditations is like mind blowing. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I didn't even know that this was in me, <laughs> you know. But when when I sit, when I sit with painful emotions and when I really sit with it, I am amazed at what comes up for me. And I'll, I'll give you another personal example. Yeah. You know, I had this. This happened to me just very recently. Okay where I realized that something that I really felt sad about that was making me feel kind of lonely Mm. was I wanted, I I missed or I wanted somebody to check up on me. How are you? How are you? How was your day? What's going on? You know, I wanted somebody to just check up on me. Like that was something that came up that I was, for some reason, I was just feeling really sad about, you know? Um, and, and I, and I started crying. I, I literally started crying and I sat there and, and I said, I'm not going to distract from this. I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to feel this. And I sat there, I literally sat there in my tearfulness and in my pain. And you know, what came out of it? It was like, so amazing. I said to myself, I'm an adult. I don't need anyone to check up on me. Like I'm Okay. I needed that as a kid and I didn't really have that, unfortunately. Right. And that's what was so sad, you know, for me, but I could check up on myself and that's good enough. I don't need it from externally from anybody else. And I don't need that to feel worthy. And I don't need that to feel good enough. And I don't need that to feel confident. I have the tools and the skills and the confidence in myself to be able to be my best ally. Right. And when I had that epiphany and that kind of understanding, literally my emotions, like it was amazing. It was like this. It was like, I was like, 
oh, okay, cool. I have myself. Yay. You know, I felt so like happy (laughs) and I felt strong and I felt powerful and I felt empowered and I, I felt like I got this, you know, and it it felt so empowering. Yeah. But okay. Because I could totally relate to this as well, because I'm also, you know, very independent and I have a tendency of pushing people away because I don't need you. Right. I can take out myself. I don't need you. So, so that is also another uh, I would say another pattern I believe is um you know pattern of avoidance right you push people away right you feel like I don't need you right yeah so if I were working with you yeah <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right I would say I would I would sit with you and I would say what's that about right like like the tendency to push people away and say I don't need you mm-hmm. what are you fearful of a if you did need them. And if you did accept them and you allowed them to give something to you or right, being accepting of their care, their love, their kindness, their compassion, their whatever support, what are you fearful of? You know, cause there's something there that's keeping you from being accepting of that, you know, right, right. and it could be a whole host of different things. It could be a fear that it's going to be fleeting. Like in other words, you're going to have it and then it's going to leave you. And then you're going to be left alone or with hurt. You know, there's so many reasons why you could be feeling that way. And I don't know your history and I don't know whatever. Or I would say to you, yeah. And I, or I would say to you, you know, um, like, what was it? What maybe think about a time in your life when you were dependent on somebody or you needed somebody and then you felt hurt because they disappointed you or they frustrated you. And what was that like for you? Right. And I would kind of explore that with you. And then I might even say, close your eyes and think about needing somebody, right? Or depending on somebody. And what is coming up for you? What does that feel like just having that like dependency? What does that feel like in your body? What thoughts are coming up in your mind? You know, I would work all different kinds of ways to try to understand a little bit better because I could tell you that there's a fear behind that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, you know, you could say if you want to what that is, but, or not, but I'm just saying like, like that's something, that's something to explore. You know, that's something to explore for yourself. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, of course I, because we are not in a, in a therapy session right now, of course I would have to really after this conversation, maybe, you know, go sit in meditation and maybe the answer will come out and I could let you know, right. That would be a beautiful, that would be a beautiful thing for you to meditate on. Mm, right. Yeah. It would be beautiful. Like even, even you could have guided imagery, you could have an image. Like I'm just thinking now, like if you want to meditate on this, like, you know, closing your eyes and like even having your hands out and imagining somebody like holding your hand, right. Mm. And feeling the connection between you and the other person, Mm. right. And, and feeling the love or the support or the caring and what comes up for you, like being curious about that, you know? So there's all different ways, again, creatively that you could do that, you know? Um, So that, that could be an interesting meditation for you and seeing like what kind of comes up. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now you got me curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm curious as well. Like it's all about having the curiosity to yeah. know yeah. what's really happening, right? So how do we deal with so if 
So if you are not avoiding it, what is the healthier way? From what I'm hearing is that, yeah, we have to sit with the painful feelings. But, you know, I tried myself. Like, it's so painful. I just, like, really, I yeah. couldn't sit with it, right? How am I going to sit with these feelings? Like, I just can't. Yeah. So how, how do we really, like, deal with, let's say it's a very, you know, intense feeling, like uh, depression yeah. or anxiety yeah. or attack. How do we sit through the feelings? And, you know, what are some of the healthy ways that we can um, cope with these feelings? Yeah. So that's that's what my whole TED talks about, but I'll tell you. <laughs> so, um, you know, it sounds easier said than done, right? It yeah. sounds easier with your feelings. Uh, it, it's not so easy. And by the way, very painful, very yeah. painful for yeah. a lot of people. The other, and by the way, when I was telling you that story about sitting in my sadness, if I tell you it was torture, like it was yeah. so painful. It was so painful. Literally, I just wanted to break free and like go take a walk or whatever. Trust me, I did not want to be sitting there. And the other thing that happens with people, so I, I do want to say this, is a lot of a lot of our somatic symptoms shows up in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Heart palpitations, headaches, chest pains, you know, GI, you know, stomach, right, issues, right, gastroenterological kind of challenges that come up, nausea. I mean, I could go on and on and on, right? All the things that show up in our bodies from our stress, like, you know, kind of rapid heart rate, etc. So, you know, like I said, when you say sit in it, somebody could be having like literally like these really deep, sharp pains in their chest. And they don't want to be feeling that because it's just so painful. So the way to do it is very, very, very incrementally. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, sit with it for like 30 seconds, literally, okay. and build up. Then do it for a minute. Then do it for two minutes. Then do it for three minutes. You know, if you need to distract yourself while you're doing it initially, do that. There's no judgment. You know, okay. just like just like with meditative practice, people always say, Oh, I can't do that. I can't sit with my thoughts. And I said, mm, sorry, I teach a mindfulness class at NYU. I teach mindfulness for 15 weeks. Okay. Yes. And it's, and, and it's a one hour and 50 minute class. And I teach a lot of experiential exercises, mindfulness exercises. There is hundreds and thousands of ways to do mindfulness. Meditative practice is one way. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there's, but even in meditative practice, there's guided meditations, yeah. there's walking meditations, there's silent meditations, there's meditations with nature sounds. I could go on and on and on and on, you know? So even if like, so if somebody's telling me, oh, I can't sit with my mind, it's too chatty and it's too, whatever. So I said, do a guided meditation, right? So that you're somewhat distracted, right? By somebody guiding the meditation. So do it very slowly and incrementally, you know, because then you're going to just have that phobic reaction and you're not going to invest in doing it. You're going to kind of scare yourself. Yeah. Okay. So I use, I use examples in my Ted talk because I use examples of um, guided imagery and metaphors, because I love using metaphors in order to help people, you know, and actually I'll, I'll just show you because oh. just because we're okay. So this is kind of one of the metaphors that I use in my TED talk, Okay, which people like. So you have like the squishy ball, yeah. right? And it's squishy, yeah. right? It's like one of those stress balls. 
So if you use this as an example, right, of our thoughts and feelings, right, what we do when we're uncomfortable is we de- we compress our thoughts and feelings, right? And how do we do that? We distract, we avoid, etc. right? We do all these kind of crafty things in order to avoid, mm. okay? But what happens, right, when you stop doing what you're doing? The thoughts and feelings resurface. Yes. And often they resurface more intensely and they last actually for a longer duration of time because you're repressing and you're, again, right? And what does your mind say? Your mind says, oh no, you think you're so smart by distracting from me? Well, I'm going to show you, right? And I'm going to make you feel worse. And you think that pain in your chest is hurting now? Well, just wait. Now I'm also going to make you have a headache. You know, whatever. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? So our mind is trying to help us. It's trying to protect us. It's it's trying to do its job. And when we do all of those things, we're basically telling our mind that it can't do its job. And our mind has a mind of its own. Yeah. <laughs> Ego. Okay? And it's not going to just relent because we tell it to. It's actually going to work harder to do its job. And that's what happens. Yeah. So that's, but that's, again, that's a metaphor for like, instead of repressing and instead of denying and instead of distracting that just being with gently, right? Like just, 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 just allowing it to be gently and compassionately, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have anything. We just, just observing it, watching it, noticing it, right? Like, right. Being kind to it. So there's all different kinds of ways. I'll, here's another metaphor, actually, just because I, I have a drawer full of goodies. So. Like yeah. <laughs> so if you look at these glasses, okay, and by the way, this is I love this stuff. It's so much fun. So if you look at these glasses, I don't know if you could see them. Yeah. So what I did with them, sunglasses, I, I took a Sharpie, you know, one of, you know, these Sharpies, and um, I made lines, it's permanent, and I made lines in them, okay, so if you put them on, let's say, right, if you put these glasses on, they're very annoying because you can't see out of them. You see these lines like coming through them. So sometimes when somebody has very self-deprecating thoughts or feelings about themselves, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm whatever it is, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll actually in session, I'll say, here, I want you to take these glasses and I want to put you to put them on and wear them the whole session while we're sitting here. Wow. And they'll say to me, what, what? What are you making me do? No, uh, I said, humor me. Just, just humor me. Like wear them, and they're wearing them, and you could see in the middle while they're talking to me, right? They're talking to me, and they're distracted, right? Yeah. They're like, they're going like this, and they're like fidgeting, and uh, you know. <laughs> and then, like maybe, you know, maybe I'll have like some sympathy, right? In the middle of the session, I'll say, okay, you could take the glasses off, and I'll say, what was that like? And they'll say, oh my god, that was so annoying. I couldn't see you. I was. Duh. And I'll say, well, you see those lines? That's the thoughts. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. Whatever. That is what you're walking around with all day long. That is your lenses. Yeah. And that's how you're seeing the world. And that's how you're functioning. And that's how you're interacting with those thoughts. Just like this. Mm. Right? And those kind of activities that I do stays in people's minds because yeah. they're metaphors. They tap into a different part of our brain 
than just me talking to you about it. Okay. So we have kind of the left and right hemispheres in our brain. Okay. Which is again, right. Our, our left and our right hemisphere, like uh, the part of it is one is the intellectual part, right. Our executive functioning, processing, et cetera, right. Which is our left and our right is more our creative brain. And when you're using the metaphors and you're using all of these kind of, kind of cues, you're tapping into that more creative part of your brain. Okay. So it both, both kind of taps into both the right and left hemisphere and people remember it again, more readily when you're using these kinds of like exercises. Yeah. yeah I love using them. So that's what, you know, in my Ted talk, I, I kind of spoke about that a little bit. Yeah. Like now just these two metaphors, I'm going to remember them forever. Like that's I, what I, I'm- yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing and i could i could even use this if i have your permission to tell you know to share with my people you know whenever Absolutely. the next time i have opportunity to share of course i will tell them you know hey this from uh, one of my friends you know one of my guests dr michelle right she shared this yeah, with me. yeah beautiful um wow i feel like i could talk to i could talk to you for hours i have so many questions but i know it's late for you i really want to respect your time um Thank so you. as soon as i said has been way, i'm always happy to come back Yes, yeah, we would love to have you to come back and of course um yeah. yeah we can talk about something else maybe your next new book because i know you do a lot yeah. of books and um and this has been such a transformational conversation even personally for me so thank you so much i'm learning so much oh, you're welcome. All these, like aha moments but we always end with our final five rapid fire questions and these are the five questions that i ask all my guests at the end of the episode okay right are you ready for that i'm ready <laughs> First question is, what is one thing you wish you knew earlier? Wow. That life is full of human suffering. Wow. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. Um, the next question is, if you could live your life all over again, what would you do differently? Wow, that's a tough one. If I could live my life over again, what would I do differently? You know, the I I I, w- I wish that I that I now I know after doing all the work that how much I repressed, mm. I swallowed and swallowed and swallowed, and I totally like literally cut off from. And I wish that I was so much. I wish I was more in touch and more enlightened than than I had been for so many years. Like that that's like makes me really sad. Mm. May I know at what age did you start doing personal development work or, you know, uh, healing work? You no, know, it's, it's interesting that you asked me that because when I was in um, college, yeah. I don't know where this came from, but I took out student loans to pay for my college and I used those student loans to pay for therapy. Wow. Because I knew that my childhood, you know, had a lot of trauma and that I told you that I had this intergenerational trauma and I wanted to make sure that my life would be different going forward and I would have a different kind of family and all of the, the you know, all of that. And I literally, I used, and I didn't tell anybody, I did it all by myself. I can't tell you how and why that was, was but yeah. I'm so thankful that I did that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now the third question is what is something you're trying to learn or curious about right now? Triggers. I'm obsessed with triggers. And that is going to be hopefully my new book. I am fascinated by it. <laughs> wow. wow, yes, we're going to have you back to talk about just triggers. And, you know, because we all have them, right? All the time. Oh, yeah. uh, 
if you have five minutes and the whole world was listening to you, what would you say? Love yourself. I would say, I would say we don't know how to. Yeah. And our mind is actually wired to do the opposite, to criticize and devalue ourselves and to really work on loving yourself because that's how you build your confidence and that's how you learn to live um, towards leaning towards a life of, you know, towards your values. Yeah, I love that. The last question is, what brings you joy? What brings me joy? Ah, relationships. I love, I have to say, being in the present moment with my relationships. Like there's nothing like connection for me when I feel that moment of connection with somebody like I'm yeah. talking about it and I feel like crying you know like I, I I'm, I'm like I feel it <laughs> it's yeah it's that moment when you're just like connected you know and it's it's I feel it in my heart like it just feels so joyful <laughs> yeah awesome well it's such a joy to see you today and now tell my people where they can find you and you know buy your book or to even work with you or learn more about your work where can I send people to you so this is my book. It's such a, I love the cover. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's called Ace Your Life. It's it's offered on all websites, Amazon, you yeah. know, Barnes and Noble, and etc. My website is the best place to get me, which is my full name. It's Michelle, which is M I C H E L L E, and my last name is Maidenberg, which is M A I D E N B E R G. And just so you know, I'm a Psychology Today blogger. So I write hundreds of articles for Psychology Today. Um, and the other thing that I do is I publish weekly guided meditations on YouTube. Wow. So yeah, if you subscribe to me, you will get a weekly guided meditation on all different topics. Love it. All right, guys. I hope you learned a lot um, from today's episode. Go follow Dr. Michelle. Go to her website. You know, take the quiz that I um I, I mentioned in this um, episode, you know, to find out exactly yeah. which unconscious pattern is keeping you stuck and, and live your best life and i will put all the links in the show note below so make sure you go and visit the show note and find all the resources that we have for you today if you're not following me remember to follow me on instagram that's the best place to find me at joanne.chant and if you're listening to this or if you're watching this please take a screenshot of you listening or watching this and take me on you know and take uh, dr michelle go for us and tell us what is your biggest takeaway from this episode we would love to hear from you or if you have any question you know where to find us make sure you hit the subscribe button so you never miss another episode coming every wednesday and i will always leave you the same way as i leave with every other episode show up the world needs you and you need you thanks for listening and i wish you all a joyful and amazing day ahead Thank you again for tuning to Find Joy with Julian podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help support this podcast in one of three ways. One, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your IG story and tag me at findjoywithjoyan underscore podcast so I can repost and connect with you. Two, share this podcast with a friend or a family member. And three, leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to grow and reach more listeners worldwide. Make sure you also subscribe so you don't miss out on any episode coming Wednesday. Thanks for being here and I will see you soon in the next episode.